this series that we're in called Heartbroken, to be honest with you, is not a very fluffy sermon. It's like having to go to the doctor when you'd rather go play volleyball at Beach Six. And so Jesus is giving us these seven diagnoses with the intent of making us as a community very healthy. But as I'm getting further into this and, and into now the, the, the fourth letter, I have this sense that maybe because of the, how unfluffy it is that you might want to be saying to me, stop talking. Let us just go on to something else. Because understand, we live in a culture that likes to take our reality and fluff over it. We want something that feels good. There is a, a race that's run every year in Pittsfield, Vermont, that cuts right to the fluff. In fact, the title of the race this year is the 2011 Death Race. It is so brutal that the organizers insist that the participants sign a waiver, and the waiver says this. It actually says this, you may die. See, that cuts to the chase. So... It, it, only crazy people would run this race because you, you have to carry, actually you have to carry a, a stump, a wooden stump with you on the entire race and your bicycle, you have to carry it most of the way. You have to go through mud pits and barbed wire. You have to, in one year you had to translate Greek. This last year you had to actually put together uh, Legos. You have to cut wood. There's just a, you have no idea what you're going to do, but it is just extremely brutal. But you've got to understand that when you come to that spot where, where you have to sign a waiver that says you may die, you suddenly see things in perspective. But, but we don't really like that a whole lot. I mean, would you go eat at Five Guys Burgers today if they had signs on the walls and pictures and... and you had to sign a waiver that said eating five guys' burgers and fries may clog your arteries and you could have a stroke or a heart attack. And you saw pictures of people doing that and, and pictures of, of actual heart surgeries. Would, would that make you want to eat that burger in that experience? No, you just say, hey, let me just enjoy the ambiance and, and enjoy the moment. I mean, how would you like to get up at 4.30 in the morning to catch your flight from the Erie Airport and you get, on, you get ready to get on that 6 o'clock Delta flight, 6 in the morning, and they give you a waiver and you have to sign a waiver that says, you understand, this flight may crash. See, all I want to worry about is whether or not the overhead has enough room for my luggage. Because we, we, we just, we, we don't want to deal with that. And so when Jesus comes to us, this one who gave us his healthy living in exchange for our dying life, who wants us to continue living in a healthy manner, he cuts right through the fluff. And he brings us always, seems to always bring us back to death and life, us and him. And so he begins by telling us this, that living comes, stems from loving. When Pam and I were dating in college, we had dated for, I don't know how long it was, but one night she told me that she loved me. 
And it just was this amazing moment, and I thought, oh, wow, she loves me. And then the next week, I found her kissing some ugly guy by the dorm. You say, was he really ugly? He was to me. And I thought to myself, she doesn't understand love. Well, obviously, we made it through that, and we got married. And in about our eighth year of marriage, you've heard the story before that, that I gave her good reason to actually pack up our kids and leave. But she said, I want to stay. I want to work this through. Because I've inscribed on the inside of your wedding band these words, I choose to love you. And I thought to myself, she understands love. So that there could be no misunderstanding about real living, Jesus describes to us real loving. And it's described when he has this encounter with a teacher of the law. And Luke records that in Luke 10. In Luke 10, 25, he says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus spent three years defining love and then illustrating it by his life. And when his followers tried to redefine it, Jesus sends seven letters to seven cities, defining love for them by affirming who they are, by diagnosing destructive patterns in their life, giving them corrective behavior so they can heal, and then giving them motivation by promises, saying if you, if you live this out, this is what you get in the end. Thyatira is a city that's about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. Now, that's the map we've been showing you, and if you could get a really good look, you wouldn't even see Thyatira on there because Thyatira was extremely small. It was a small city. Unlike the other three cities where these letters have gone to, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, it had no great importance to the Roman Empire, and it wasn't a concern of theirs regarding emperor worship. But it was a highly industrious city. There was this this incredible networking of labor unions because there was so much industry taking place. Those unions were so important to the city and such at the core of the city that it affected the socio-economic, political, and religious center of that city. Each of those unions had their own deity. They worshipped this deity and they selected the, the, the festivities and the worship that would take place for this deity. And, and those festivities always included sex parties, and drunkenness. Now, if you were part of a union, which you had to be to actually work in that city, then you had to participate in what was prescribed for those worshiping this deity. You had to worship that deity, you had to attend the parties, and you had to participate. So you can understand the difficulty for followers of Jesus because whether or not they did this would have an impact on their job security and their acceptance within the community. And so Jesus writes to these folks, 
knowing the difficulty they face. And he, he starts out, if you will, with, with this double shot of spiritual Red Bull. He says, here, grab hold of this. And so he gives to them this wonderful affirmation. And he says, I want to tell you that I see in you a maturity. You are growing up. You are becoming much more mature than you had been. Understand that when he writes these letters, he's not just writing to us. We have this tendency to take our Bibles and sit down and read them individually to ourselves and talk about what God's doing for us. In reality, when the scriptures were written, when the letters were written, they were brought to a community and the entire community heard them together for the first time and they discussed how it would be applied to community. You heard the Perkins here earlier today talk about the benefit for, for Dave and what they raised to offset his medical expenses, and he talked about he just they've been here for 11 years because of community. So when you take the Scripture, it's an application to community. And so Jesus is going to talk to community and, and analyze that community. And he's saying, I see maturity. Somebody sent me this, uh, this on the Internet that really illustrates the lack of maturity in a, in a family community. Uh, and one father confessed this. He said when his daughter had her birthday in March, they bought an iPhone. And she just loved the iPhone. So then, then when his birthday came in July, his wife bought him an iPad. And he just loved that. And so... In, 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 in August, when their son had his birthday, they bought him an iTouch. And when the wife's birthday came in September, he bought her an iRon. And he said, he said he tried to get her to understand that you could hook that up to the networking of products like iWash, iClean, and iBake. He now says that he'll be out of the hospital in about two weeks. (laughs) See, that is not a mature community. So Jesus says, let me describe to you what I see in you. And he says this to this community of faith, Revelation 2, 18. To the angel or the messenger or the pastor of the church in Thyatira... Write, the, write this. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I conducted a funeral this week for a friend. It was a sad honor for me. And Dennis had a, a, a wonderful wonderful story of life. Dennis was raised in the projects here in Erie, and he'd get beat up. And in growing up years, he discovered that his way out would be education, and so he worked really hard to be educated and eventually earned his Ph.D. He ended up holding very prestigious positions on universities across the United States. And I enjoyed listening to the family talk about what happened around their dinner table. He, he would sit with his three boys as they were being raised, and, and he would ask them, and later he would also sit with, with the three grandchildren and ask them the same question, and he would ask them simply this, what have you done to serve 
somebody else today? What have you done? And he would, he would expect an answer. Now, this one that's been described, this Jesus with these piercing eyes of fire, laser-like, is looking straight into community. He's looking into this community today. And he's saying, that's what I want. That is the identifier of community. The evidence of a mature church is simply this, that love serves. He says, I'm glad you're doing the stuff you're doing, and it's nice that you are known as the church that does this thing or that thing, or you have this program, or you have this music. But he said the identifier must always be that people would think of the folks that gather at 8150 Oliver Road, not as that big white building, or the people that used to have the TV program, or the people that have good worship. He said, what I want them to say is those folks really know how to serve. That has got to be the identifier. Which means that this gathering, because most people think the church is this thing right here, the thing we're doing today. In reality, what this is, is a collection of everything that you have been and done all week long before you got here. That this is the collection and the celebration and the review of how well we have served. Now here's the problem. If I have been thinking about myself all week long, then when I show up here, I'm also thinking about myself. And then I'll start complaining. "Eh, That wasn't the song I wanted to sing. I had to go work in the nursery because nobody else showed up. And and we have this thing happening. So understand that this is called a church service, not a church give me. And Jesus said the identifier will be that when the moment comes that people say, I need something, you say, I'm here to serve. So the deal is this, that whether it's in your small group or on a Sunday morning and there's so many kids in the nursery because people are showing up and they say, we need help, you immediately without hesitation say, I'm here because this is what Jesus does. In fact, I'll tell you this, you'll learn 99% about Jesus by serving than you more so than you will sitting and listening to somebody teach. So when you hear Bob is going to move his family from this part of town to this part of town and they need people to help load up the truck, you go, I'm there. And when you hear that Dave Perkins is having a benefit, you show up, which you did. And Jesus says, I like that stuff because that's what you're created to do. You know, something else that that Dennis would do is that Dennis believed that everybody should have hope, and he found a lot of hope in education. But he wanted people to find their destiny. He wanted them to to know where they were going. In fact, one of the boys said that even when he was had brought a girl home that he was starting to date, Dennis cornered her and said, What's your five year plan? Dennis, when he was on campuses across the, across the nation, when he would go to lunch, he didn't go to the faculty dining area. He always went out to where the students were, sat with the students, and talked to them to hear their stories, hear their dreams, and to encourage them. And so this Jesus with these flaming eyes and this, these feet, these legs of solid foundation says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that faith finishes. That's part of being mature. 
that you help each other finish. And the way that you can do that is by your words. You don't want to go someplace where people tear into you and talk about each other. You want to go someplace where people say, tell me your story. I think you can do that. I'm with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep encouraging you. How many in here like words of encouragement? How many like words of criticism? I know that sometimes constructive criticism, I I just hate this phrase. Hey, Jack, I love you, but... So, oh, la, 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 la. Don't want to hear this. It means I'm getting ready to slam you. We need so much more encouragement to one another. The other day, I was, I was having to make a change on an airline reservation. And the lady was just really helpful. When she got done, I said, could, could I talk to your supervisor? She said, what? I said, I need to talk to your supervisor. Sir, did I not help you? I said, no, I want to tell him how great you were. Just a minute, I'll get him. <laughs> it wasn't a him, it was a her. She answered, and I said, she said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I want to tell you that Patty just helped me. And, every, and I really took her through a lot of changes, and she was an incredible help. It's people like Patty that make me keep coming back to your airline. And he says, it's going to go in her folder. See, that's what we got to do for each other. When we see the good stuff, we got to say, look what you're doing. I love that about you. Because it keeps us moving. So Jesus says to this small little church that's just such intense pressure, he says, I see this in you. I see you encouraging and affirming, and and I see you caring for each other and serving. I just love that. And he says, but there's another thing. Now, wouldn't it be ridiculous if at age 56 I look like this? (laughs) So cute. You'd say, I think you have a growth problem. (laughs) Jesus said, you know what I like about you guys is that you're doing more now than you did last year. You are serving more than you served last year. You are encouraging more than you did the year before. I'm telling you, you're growing up. So I I asked the question to us here. Are we serving more than we did last year? Are we encouraging more than we did last year? If we are, Jesus is saying, way to go. This, this God of laser and, and bronze legs says, I applaud you, I applaud you, way to go. But he says, but I want you to be careful because there's something infiltrating you at the same time. And so he gives this diagnosis. He says, the problem is this, that you're tolerating immorality. Now, if we're going to understand what he's saying, we need to understand immorality. So you look up immorality and you dissect it, and immorality comes from im and morality, and im comes from the word actually in, which actually means the opposite of, the opposite of morality. Okay, so what's, what's morality? Morality comes from the word moral. Go to the base of moral. It means good, the opposite of good. Well, who defines good? Well, you go back to the one who created all this, and you catch him in the very beginning going... And he said it was good. He said it was good. He said it was good. He said it's very good. So what he's defining here is that there is this toleration of that which is the opposite of what God says is good. And he 
said, I, I want to warn you because we have this tendency that we say, oh, you know, God is love and he's so, it's, a, it's, a, it's wonderful. And, and, and so, you know, it's no big deal to him. It is a big deal to him. And so here's what he says to them. Revelation 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. So there's this lady in Thyatira. She's a prophetess. She says, God is saying this, thus saith the Lord. And so they think, well, then she's got to be spiritual, if thus saith the Lord. So they put her in an elevated position of leadership. Let me pause here and say to you, just because someone says to you, God told me, or thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean you swallow it. It means you test the character of that person and you test the words. Because you don't know. And, and you probably have had people come to you and say, I feel like God is saying you should go do this. And it puts you in an awkward spot. Because you think, well, what if God said that? Test it out. I had someone once come to me and say, God is saying that you need to go to this retreat. And I thought, well, I don't want to go to that retreat. And they said, and I'm leaving it in your hands now, and you'll have to put up what God does to you if you don't go. I wanted to say, you go to the retreat and don't come back. <laughs> I, I talked to Pam about it. I prayed about it. And I had no sense from God saying, you go there. It was just their passion to get me there. And they thus saith the Lord. Now, see, we don't do in the old, in, hear what they did in the Old Testament. If somebody said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't come true, and it wasn't right, they'd just stone them. We'd have less prophecies today if that was the case. So here's what she was advocating. She was saying that if you, want to, if you want to combat Satan, you have to go into his stronghold. The only way to understand the evil that he has and the depths of it, ready, is to actually experience it. Because when you experience it, then you also then have a greater understanding of how deep God's grace goes. So what you need to do is you need to go into the depths of this immorality of Thyatira, which is go to the sex parties, indulge yourself, and then also honor the demons to whom the meat was offered. And in doing so, you're better equipped to serve Jesus. A similar thing was happening around Rome, and Paul the Apostle basically said, what are you, stupid? That is just the most ignorant thing. Why would you do that? She's called Jezebel because she was so much like that pagan wife of King Ahab who she 
compromised and negotiated to the place that he abandoned his exclusive loyalty to Jehovah God. And this woman has talked some of the folks in the community of abandoning their exclusivity, their, their faithfulness, their loyalty to Jesus by attaching themselves also to what the culture was saying was right. And Jesus said, I gave her time to repent, and she's not, and I am not liking this. So Jesus draws a line. Jesus draws this line, and he says, there is no compromise, only severe judgment. Now, this is intense stuff. This is where the fluffy stuff's going. It just gets gone. Jesus says to her, this actual woman in Thyatira, he said, I'm going to take you from your bed of sexual activity and I'm going to put you in the bed of sickness. And those who have indulged with you, I will make suffer and I will kill your children. Now, we don't know what that means. No one really knows, but what it does mean when he says, I'm going to kill your children, it means when something is going to happen, the church is going to know God did that. And then they're going to understand that he, with the piercing eyes, is also looking deep into their heart, which means the base of, of, of our soul, the, the base of, of a moral center, and our mind, which is what we're deciding, what we're, what we're thinking, and our energy. And he's going to judge us according to what he sees. And he will pay us according to our deeds. Case closed. They say, whoa, whoa, I I, I don't want that. What do I do? He said, here's the correction. Stay pure. That's what I want you to do. So Pam and I went shopping a couple months ago for a full-length decorative mirror. We went to Hobby Lobby. Been to Hobby Lobby? Don't go there. (laughs) You'll walk out with nothing in your pocket. So we, we go in, and we're looking at mirrors, and I look at one mirror, and I go, eh, it's a mirror, looks, that's me, it's, it's, it's okay. Went to another mirror, and I said, that thing looks, looks big, it's just it's distorted, I'm, it's, just, I, 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 it's huge. And then I saw one, and it made me look thinner. <laughs> Guess which one we bought? I don't need the scales, I'm 10 pounds thinner, I just walk up, there I am. Because I bought the reflection according to how I want to look. And the danger here is to use the culture as our reflection so that it, it, we look like we want to look. It will tell us what's good or bad, what's acceptable and unacceptable, what is right and wrong. The only accurate reflection comes from him whose nature is accurate, and that's God. So he said, I'm going to give you your mirror. And here's what he says. James, a follower of Jesus, records this. But don't just listen to God's word, the Holy Scriptures. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at a face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Scripture is the only perfect mirror because it reveals how our designer sees us. 
So he said, I want you to take the scriptures and I want you to read them because as you read the scriptures, the scriptures read you. So when it says you do this, you go do this. When it says don't do this, you stop doing that. That's it in its simplicity. Yeah, but... No, no, that's the culture. The yeah, but... So he said, I want you to continually look in the mirror. So here's the deal. When you look at the culture and the culture tells you by what you're watching or the friends you have, the culture says to you, dude, you just met this really gorgeous lady and and she likes you and she has hinted to you that she will go with you to your apartment and spend the night. You go, hey, that's a good reflection. I like that. But then you look at the Holy Scriptures and the reflection says this, I don't want you to have sex outside of marriage. You go, which one do I want? Which one do I want? God's way up there. She's right here. And he'll forgive me later. Well, see, God knows this. Paul the Apostle said, in in the whole context of sexuality, he said that when you have sexual relationships with someone, there is a transference of spirit that takes place. You're taking into your life part of what's inside that person, and you don't hardly even know them. Do you want that there? Doctors tell us that there's this chemical release called oxytocin that is the same chemical in a woman that is released when she's nursing her child because it causes a bonding together. That when a woman is having sexual relationships with a man, that same chemical is released so that she is bonding with him, whether you think it's casual or sex or not, it's not casual. You are bonding, and when you rip apart and no no longer have a relationship and no covenant relationship, and you continue doing that, the adhesion that keeps you stuck to the person you finally want to be with is so loosened that by the time you get together, there's a difficulty in staying together, and that's why our divorce rate is so strong. Part of the reason, because we don't know how to stick together anymore. So which mirror do you want to look in? I like the words of Francis Chan who says, people who are obsessed with God are nourished by God's word throughout the day because they know that 40 minutes on Sunday is not enough to sustain them for a whole week, especially when they will encounter so many distractions and alternative messages. So look, I know, I know, I know, I know, All your friends are having multiple sex partners. I know. And I know that what you watch on television, you can hardly find a program that does not just take for granted that you will just have one-night stands or hang out together because it is so cool. And by the way, statistics are now telling us, surveys are, that those one-night stands are now increasing even in light of the fact of STDs and AIDS. There's a cry for intimacy that we think is going to get taken care of with that. And we in the church sometimes, because of the culture around us, become so desensitized to that that we look at the program and say, "Eh, yeah, they are. And then we just go buy it. And it doesn't register in here like, whoa, alarms. See, the problem is this. That is not our mirror. And God is not happy. He says, I will strike at those who don't repent. You say, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to hear that. So I'm going to go change churches. Go ahead. Oh, I'm going to change gods. Go ahead. I'm going to change faiths. Go ahead. Bottom line is, God is not going away. He still feels that way. 
So if I could just bring this down to a couple of words, it's this, deal with it. Got to take care of it. That's why Jesus said this to his community, only hold on to what you have until I come. Hang on and fight the culture because I got a bunch of stuff I want to give you. And here he comes with the motivation. And here's the motivation. We win. He says, here's the deal. He said, the time will come, the culture will look at you and go, you were right. You were right all along. How many of you like to be right? Yeah. Na, 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 na. That's what we're going to sing in heaven. Na, 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 na. Here's what he says. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Now catch this. This is about you. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, would you listen? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the end, this morning star, Jesus Christ and you, the community, will take authority over all cultures and nations, and what they said was the truth will be like a piece of pottery shattered. And you will rule over them. It's the deal. But I got news for you. You can't be the ruler and the pottery at the same time. And you can't take a chance saying, okay, I'll be pottery to just before Jesus shows up, then I'll change and I'll be ruler. Nah, it doesn't work that way. So you've got to choose. So it's time to sign waivers. You can sign the waiver that says, I want to be part of the culture, but understand what the waiver says is this, you may die. But if you run with Jesus, his race, his waiver says, you will live you will win, you will rule. Which do you choose? Would you stand? So we've got some thinking to do. What kind of community are we going to be? You say, man, I just walked in here today. I don't know. I'm just, well, you're still part of the community. We got you now. We're going to serve together and we're going to encourage together. We're going to love or we're going to finish together. But we've got to make sure that the culture does not ruin us. So this week, I simply want to ask you to do this. Watch for the culture all week long. And every time you see something that is the opposite of what God says is good, say, nope, not going there. Secondly, take the Holy Scriptures and read them. Go dust off your Bible and read them. It's the breath of God. And when you read them, say, oh, he said, don't hate. Okay, I won't hate, but can I like dislike a little? Read it through and do what it says so that in a year from now, Jesus will say to the church meeting on Oliver Road, I love how you serve. I love how you encourage. And the good news is you do it better now than you did 365 days ago. And I love that. Now, may you find today his blessings on you. 
May you see the opportunities of service and without hesitation, care and love. And may you speak words that build people up and shut your mouth in the words that tear them down. And may you find God's favor wrapped all around you throughout this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.